Welcome to, I believe we're on session 14 now of the Brain of the Firm reading group uh, with General Intellect Unit. And this time we are going to be covering uh, chapter 12, I believe. Yes, chapter 12, Autonomics Systems 1, 2, 3. Uh, so the introduction uh, that Beer wrote uh, says, uh, Next, in Chapter 12, come similar notes on the operation of the whole system, 1, 2, 3. All this should by now be easy to understand because the pieces of the cybernetic jigsaw are being slotted into place over a crib. The picture of the firm as we know it already, which in so many ways actually works, although it is not usually described like this. All right. Well, uh, apparently this is uh, elementary stuff, so uh, <laughs> we'll just blow right through it and no problems. Uh, <laughs> there were some points I found a little hard to grasp in this chapter. I think it's a little better organized than the last one. Uh, but yes, uh, one thing I did want to uh, recommend everybody do is pull up the Wikipedia VSM diagram. So I'm just going to do that right now because we're uh, referring a lot back to uh, the infamous uh, figure 27 in this chapter. I'll right. link the diagram in the chat. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, so we will use this as a substitute for figure 27. Uh, which, of course, is very confusing, especially when it comes to System 1, uh, which is really the main thing that we get discussed in this chapter. Okay, so uh, any general thoughts on uh, Chapter 12? Uh, Shane, go ahead. Um, I found the, uh, the diagram uh, Figure 30 with its uh, sort of description of the, the reflex arc of system one and system two and stuff. I found it to be, a, I, I don't know, maybe a little bit confusing. It, it, it was either confusing or it helped me advance my understanding of systems one and two. And I'm not sure which, because uh, I have a funny feeling that like, I mean, if we look at the, the Wikipedia diagram, it seems that Beer refines his thinking a little bit later on to the core parts system two proper which I think in the text here, he's, he, he sort of lumps the triangular parts in with system one in a way, or either that or it's just unclear. I'm not totally sure. Um, I believe, uh, I think actually this is the same, but res represented slightly differently. Uh, so gotcha. if I remember correctly, the triangle uh, represents the divisional directorate, which is interfacing with system two. Uh, so I think on okay. the diagram in Wikipedia, we see the little triangle in system two, or sorry, in system one, connecting to the big triangle on the line of system two. And that's probably meant to represent... Mm, gotcha that uh, uh, the system uh, three within oh. system one is interfacing with the big system two. I think I get it now. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. um, I, I agree that those diagrams are a little confusing. You really have to flip back and forth on the pages, which makes it quite a bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think conceptually we're working with the same thing. So we'll, we'll see what happens here. Uh, Rudy, please go ahead. Cool. Yeah. On that topic, I, actually from this chapter, I found this, I finally understand system two and system three, but it, messed up my understanding of system one and i think it's because in some way i had always seen system one as a standalone but what we are describing here is no system one is actually interacting with a recursive subsystem and that is what i'm talking about and it, it really was hard to wrap my head around this I, I think i still have to read one more time and that's why i'm looking forward to today's discussion yeah i'd agree with that um i think we really get deep into the recursion here and uh, that is, is quite hard to follow in detail. Uh, we'll go to uh, Steve and then to Shane. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I echo the, the confusion and to the point where I really started questioning the necessity, if not the efficacy, of even trying to label these things, systems one, two, and three, while going through the actual details of how this stuff is, is very specifically uh, implemented. Um, now, I understand, like at a conceptual level, the the sort of description of roles and responsibilities, but like it just doesn't really seem to map onto the diagrams that he's trying to present, or even to the point. And you know, maybe this is just uh, misunderstanding. Um, like it almost looks like he's labeling things system one, two, or or three, or at least two. Uh, one and two, based on like the perspective of what he's talking about. Um, you know, it feels like when he's talking about system one, he brings in like that big triangle because it's regulating system one. And then he talks about it as if it's system one, but then that triangle is labeled two in other situations. And when he's talking about it in the context of three, um, so like that, those are the sort of head games that I was trying to work out and not, uh, I'm not saying I understood it completely, but like, I felt like there was a little bit of that going on that was, um, confusing. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was, um, you know, like Rudy, it did actually really clarify what was actually happening regardless of the system labels, um, to the point where like the big insight I felt I got here was that, um, it finally got driven home, like systems one, two, and three are, automatic processes that um, in very real sense, like could be done by a computer and does, doesn't actually have to be done with people. Um, that didn't quite jive with thinking about this in terms of like mapping the, the viable system model onto, you know, a, an org chart or, you know, replacing an org chart when you're thinking about a system. Like this stuff is computerable, <laughs> you know, you can write stuff to do, do this to a point. And there's some confusions about the specifics of that, that, you know, I'm curious to get into. Um, specifically like the little four circle and the p building up of potential on two and six, like those things weren't fully clear to me. Um, I'm not sure we need to get into that now, but uh, yeah, sorry. That was my sort of general takeaway of this. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I think it might've been useful for the purposes of, uh, I don't know, explanation of this chapter to label it like system one prime or something like that, <laughs> just to like clarify what level of recursion we're working at. I don't know. Uh, anyway, 
um, interesting stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think regarding the specifics of the implementation, it seems like Beer is referring to another text in this chapter, which he's referred to before. Um, what is it now? I think it's division and control. Yeah. Uh, right. So essentially, um, I think that he's taking the approach in this chapter that it's aimed at managers and the statistician uh, or programmer should read his other book to clarify the details. Um, so I, I think that's that's kind of the vibe I got here, although he doesn't spell that out explicitly. Um, uh, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, just just one very quick thing before we move on. I think this this uh, it, this whole this chapter kind of echoes the um, the theme that we've seen a couple of times here, where there's this um, ambiguity in System One, where because I think the, the the sort of crayon drawing of the the system would have you believe that like okay, so this is a this is a unit that is composed of subunits and then they're synchronized, and you would think like oh, System One is the subunits, but. I think Beer emphasizes a couple of times throughout the book, and I think it's clear even in this chapter, that the system one is the control interface to the subunits, not the subunits themselves. And like, if you look at the recursive diagram from the Wikipedia thing, you look at the like the system one elements in like the circular part, where which is like the so you've got the square part and the circular part, where the square part is the management, and you have the circle is the activity. The activity is kind of endlessly deferred. It's 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 always punted down the road a bit further. Like you go. You step into a firm and you go, oh, well, the, re the real action is in the divisions. And you step into the divisions, like, well, the real action is in the teams. And then you step into the teams, like, well, the real action is the people. You step into a person, well, the real action is the organs. And, well, it's, it's the molecules, it's the quantum foam or whatever. Um, I think we have, to, we have to keep reminding ourselves that this, this is a model of a control system, not a model of a extended body as such. Um, and that's system one, I think, is the, the control interface to the, the subunit, not it, it, like system one doesn't subsume the entirety of the subunit and all of its activity. It subsumes the control interface to the subunit. Uh, I just, it's just a thing I have to keep reminding myself of. And when I come across this, like what actually is system one kind of question. Yeah. Um, I mean, beer is quite clear that it, it doesn't subsume the specificity of each level, although it would subsume the entirety of the control structure going down. Um, so it, it is like you said, uh, Shane, there's a kind of infinite regress at level one in the circle. Um, but again, it's about defining the scope of your examination, right? Um, like, what is the level you care about uh, for this particular analysis? Um, and then you're going to abstract from the infinite depth of, you know, reality, <laughs> which is a thing we just have to do in everyday life all the time. Uh, yeah, uh, but I don't know. It's pretty trippy. Um, okay. Uh, it's very, like, Diamond Sutra- you know, just like endless recursion, endless reflection kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, okay, 
maybe let's let's get into um, the particulars here in chapter 12. Um, okay, so Beer, first of all, uh, identifies that he's going to be talking here um, about the evolutionary answer to the bogus dichotomy of centralization versus decentralization. Um, as in the previous chapter, I shall take the whole of that earlier discussion for granted. Uh, so in chapter part two, uh, he brought up the centralization versus decentralization in physiological terms. Uh, and here he's going to take that for granted to talk about it in organizational terms. Um, now, we are going to see at the end of this chapter that the dichotomy is bogus in the sense that both uh, poles of that dichotomy are erroneous. Uh, to adopt either one would be an error. However, the... <laughs> the problems that they indicate are not bogus. The problems which we usually frame as problems of centralization versus decentralization are not bogus. It's the framing that is bogus. And Beer goes on to say that cybernetics does not solve this dichotomy. He doesn't actually, it doesn't actually solve the problem of group identity versus individual identity. That is a real problem that what his cybernetics provides is really just a more specific definition of what the problem is. Uh, and in terms of the actual resolution of the problem, once you have it defined, he just appeals to common sense. So um, this is a very interesting thing that he's doing here. Uh, it's, it's like <laughs> I, I've pointed to the problem, but now you have to solve it in your actual life. <laughs> Because the the solution is not here. Because it's it's some in some ways uh, can't be resolved at the level of theory. Um, and I guess you know it's that it's it's really that like he's trying to do like a proper like Hegelian subsumption here, right? Where the opposition presented by centralization versus decentralization is not actually resolved in the subsumption. It's just framed in a new stage. Um, so yeah, this is, this is pretty interesting stuff because <laughs> it, it is a little bit of a uh, tease. Cause he's like, ah, it's a false dichotomy. And then it's like, actually <laughs> there's no solutions here. <laughs> um, Anyway, that's that whole thing. Uh, is there any discussion about this, uh, this sort of broad problem that Buhr is working at uh, in this chapter? Uh, Mark, oh, go ahead. 
Um, yeah, well, maybe not uh, specific to this chapter, but just kind of riffing on what we were just talking about. It's There's also a lot of that, like, well, you get into these problems, but then you have to be really good at operations research, right? You know, when you're getting down to the nitty gritty as well. And it, uh, to for a super geeky reference, it reminds me of like the original D&D in the little box when it's like, oh, when you actually fight, then you use melee, <laughs> it's like, which is not included. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's there's definitely some interesting like like, oh, let me pose this to you and let me kick that can. OK, so like you're talking about like in BX, like the combat rules being or is this is this like pre-bx like the combat rules are not even included in the original yeah it, it, yeah in the original when it was the box with the three you know stapled pamphlets i oh, think yeah. the, all the combat stuff was basically used melee which was just a little you know tiny little box with the hex board and then you had your little you know you're just basically standing on the hex and doing the rolls got it got it got it it's just like deferred to a subsystem uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not included with purchase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very funny. Um, okay. Uh, anything else to say about this? Uh, okay. Yep, there you go. Sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah, uh, just to clarify, because I, I, I wasn't 100% clear on this. So is he, is he basically saying, you know, like in the past he said, listen, the VSM is really a way to analyze uh, your system for viability. It's not really an implementation path. You know, the roles and responsibilities still have to be divided up between people and teams and, organ you know, sub-organizations. And I can't really tell you how to do that, like, in general. Is that basically what he's saying? Uh, I think that's part of it in the sense that the VSM is mainly a diagnostic tool. Um and it doesn't specify the detailed organization because obviously it's like general and it's not a, it's not does it's not a bespoke model for a particular organization um but i think we'll get into a little bit more as we go through this chapter of like why specifically beer says that centralization versus decentralization is a false dichotomy and then also he says that the VSM is not going to solve the problems it indicates. Uh, and it essentially comes down to the perspective of the whole organization is a valid perspective with its own meta language. The perspective of the divisional chief with their divisional commitments is also a valid perspective with its own meta language. And the dichotomy between the two is fundamental due to sort of like the multi-perspectival nature of reality. Uh, but you can't solve it by centralizing more or decentralizing more. That's not actually a solution to the problem. Uh, Jake H, then Matt, then Third Creed. Um, yeah, yeah. The just like what you just said, for sure, really like, I, I think this chapter helps kind of put it into perspective more for me. I mean, this was my first time reading this chapter. Um, and like the sort of that last paragraph right before uh, notes on operation of system one, where he talks about like 
that the monitoring and filtering functions for input data and the strategic planning and tactical programming functions for the output data jointly reside in this part of the corporate system one constitutes the divisional system three. Because I think sort of talking to that like recursive nature of it, where if you take the perspective of the division, then the way, you know, then the planning of like how to actually run the factory or whatever, the, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff is part of the system three. But then if you're taking the perspective of the corporation of the, you know, that just has to be it, then that's just all part of the, the system one. And it's kind of gets back to that like meta language of like, well, this part of the operation isn't really important when it comes to the whole corporation, as long as you've got these like uh, statistical or like, logistical outputs that indicate whether or not it's working correctly. And um, yeah, I really like the, I just, I, I really like that whole, whole like the dichotomy between the centralization versus decentralization. And then the answer is not either of them. It's, it's the synthesis of the two, if you will. Uh, and it's, you know, I don't think we've got that yet. Like we don't, I don't know if there necessarily is an example of that in the world, but like, might exist at some point and like we can build something that might like lead us to that i think i mean i don't know what it looks like but i i think it's just very interesting of what made, what makes me like very interested in beer in the first place and i think this will be an interesting uh, discussion yeah i mean it, it kind of reminds you of like nagarjuna's like fourfold negation uh, when he's trying to describe the nature of reality. It's like, it's not this, it's not this, it's also not this and this, and it's also not this or this. Um, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, Matt, and then third Creed, go ahead. Yeah, with, with the um, uh, uh, um, centralization versus decentralization thing. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it's just a, a like, like Jake said. It's you know, it's about um, yeah, finding an actual like like balance between the two. You know, it's like saying you know, what's what's better, being asleep or being awake? Which you know, it's it's it sounds kind of absurd, but I mean, like people do talk like that all the time. Like you know, I hear leftists talk about decentralization as if that's the goal, like in and of itself, as if like that's like inherently good. You know, as opposed to like. You know, I, I think what he's saying more is that, you know, any system that can function coherently, you know, that, that can act in like a goal-directed way, but is still flexible enough to deal with, you know, um, a, um, a changing environment, you know, has some version of that. And, you know, like, uh, it, it, and uh, its organization probably uh, maps onto, you know, the, v, the VSM in some way or another, uh, you know, if, if, it, if it can uh, both cohere and, um, uh, um, and adapt. And, yeah, and, and also with uh, the, the, uh, the, the automation stuff, I d definitely agree with Steve that, you know, like uh, a lot of this stuff definitely seems like it could be, you know, automated in, in ways that Beer probably was. Yeah, I, that might even be like the way in which he was most ahead of his time. Like you probably couldn't have foreseen like some uh, um, like a uh, uh, like like work assignment like systems uh, uh, that, that exist now that can like, you know, automatically like tell when like, you know, one task is blocking another. I think, um, you know, to steal like Eden Medina's phrase from a cybernetic revolutionaries, I think what he's really um, describing here is um, uh, like socio-technical infrastructure. So, you know, like what you know, uh, what combination of like tasks and, um, you know, computing uh, stuff, you know, like creates this. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for sure. So, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm definitely interested in like the degree to which this stuff can be automated using a sufficiently sophisticated socio-technical structure um, or infrastructure. Uh, third Creed, please go ahead. 
I'm not sure how interesting it is. It's just my understanding of it. I want to make sure I'm understanding it right. I understand it. Like, you know how in the beginning of the second chapter of Capital, uh, Mark talks about the ellipse as an example of something where there's a force that draws the uh, draws two bodies together and there's a force that draws them apart. And the ellipse itself is a, like representation of the sort of balance of those two forces that that's sort of the resolution of those two uh, conflicting tendencies but the ellipse is a thing in and of itself mm-hmm. and i to me i think that's the resolution here it's like it's it's neither true that you always want to centralize or that you always want to decentralize it's, it's not really true that they're in opposition in the sense that uh they're in opposition in the sense that you need to choose one pole or the other. It's just that the existence of these two poles creates another system. And that system is some, a system that, that, that is not solvable in the sense of ultimately static, you know, but solvable in the sense of uh, you can manage the interactions of them in such a way that they produce the sort of meta system, which I think this is probably better expressed through other philosophy that I don't know. But uh, or, you know, but this is how I'm thinking of it. And so that one, that's how I think of it, too. Is that right? Am I thinking of the right? Am I understanding you guys correctly? Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly what he's describing is like a uh, meta phenomenon that is produced by the opposition of forces within the system. Um, yeah, uh, we can sort of la- label that. But to give it a name does not mean it is resolved. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, now let's uh, go on. Uh, we need to know, first of all, how System 1 really works in the eyes of the corporation. Remember that it has to control a division in response to policy directives and overriding instructions from above. In reaction to the direct demands of the external world upon it and in awareness of the needs of other divisions. Uh, So this is sort of the forces that act upon System 1 within its context. There, first of all, has to be a divisional directorate, which was depicted in Figure 27. It lies on the vertical command axis, reports to the corporate management from which instructions are received, and is responsible for managing the division. Essentially, this means that it in turn controls activities in a line sense. But from the corporate standpoint, this responsibility is routine. What really matters is that the divisional directorate assumes responsibility for programming, planning by objectives, and normative planning throughout the division. So those are the three times, types of planning we, we read about in the previous chapter. Its management tool is the Divisional Regulatory Center, marked in figure 27 with a triangular symbol. So it's still marked with a triangular symbol uh, in the Wikipedia diagram. It's just sort of uh, fractal in the sense that uh, there's a kind of infinite regress of triangles downward. Um, uh, Here are the monitoring and filtering functions for input data and the strategic planning and tactical programming functions for output data jointly reside. 
then this part of the corporate system one constitutes the divisional system three, as we can see uh, marked on the Wikipedia diagram where the big triangle connects to the little triangle, which connects to the little system three inside system one. This uh, this organ, the regulatory center, explicitly models the spinal ganglion in relation to the vertebral sect segment of the cord. Uh, so again, the spinal ganglion, if I remember correctly, were the like side channels uh, that went uh, like uh, it was the sympathetic uh, nervous system operating through these side channels, right? Uh, I think that's what was going on in in section two. Uh, okay, so uh, notes on the operation of System 1. In view of the arguments advanced in the last chapter, we shall take it that basic information about performance is to be generated for corporate use in terms of pure numbers, the achievement indices. At once, an opportunity occurs to classify divisional operations on a better basis than is normally attempted in orthodoxy. Now, this part was the real, like, mindfuck for me. Um, uh, this, this, this part that's coming up here. Uh, people normally classify activities according to their manifest appearance to the world at large. They may be classified by their location, by the nature of the processes they employ, by the nature of the things they produce, by the sort of people who undertake them, or even by the geographical destiny of the output. But since management is interested in efficiency, and since a particular measured level of performance now attaches to each of these activities, a more managerially sophisticated and practically useful classification system may de be developed. Uh, so he's just sort of uh, enumerating the rules of thumb that we use for classification uh, typically and then saying, yeah, we can do something better. Uh, what matters to management about two entirely different products is not whether they look alike, but whether they are profit earners or not. Two very similar looking products may perform quite differently. Two dissimilar products may display the same performance. Then we should use the pure numbers we have generated to classify what is going on in the firm by these measures of achievement. The tool to use here is applied statistics. Assume that pure numbers are now flowing out of the division and along the input line to the divisional directorate. It is a function of the divisional regulatory center to cause these numbers to fall into convenient heaps, technically Gaussian distributions, whereby probability theory may be used to determine to which family of performance a particular number belongs. There is no prior judgment here from historicity, nor from the manifest appearance. The criterion is straightforwardly the shape of the achievement profile determined by the absolute value of the performance index and the balance within that index of its constituent latency and productivity. All this is very easy to arrange on a computer because there are simple and robust tests for statistical normalcy and extremely familiar tables of the integral under the curve of the two tails of the normal distribution. Technical note, the ratios which have an upper bound of unity cannot be used as raw data immediately for these tests uh, because they generate skewed distributions. Some adjustment will be necessary. 
I have always found the inverse sign transformation of the raw score to be quite effective, but there are other possibilities. However, this is a matter for the statistician member of the implementation team. We need not be delayed here by considerations of technical detail. And this is why I'm, I'm thinking the other book is probably meant for the statistician and the programmer, uh, because he kind of is saying, like, this, is, this book is not about that. Um... The point is that we should no longer classify the firm's activities according to convention. Apply cost measures to these activities because they are the only measures we understand, and then aggregate the answers. We should instead apply the measures of performance we have designed to the activities and demand that the information system classifies the operational world on our behalf. The brain does this for us in ordinary life through its pattern recognition capability and produces the classification by manifest appearance with which we normally wish to work. As managers, however, we are seeking to detect other patterns, those of significance to the business, and that means classifying by achievement. So essentially what Beer's saying here is you don't if, if I am understanding this correctly, he's saying you don't want your system ones organized according to uh, rules of thumb, such as geographical destination or type of production or whatever. Um, you actually want them uh, classified algorithmically by statistical measures. Um, so... Because uh, he's saying that essentially it, when we when our brains look at divisional uh, divisions, we have a sort of visual classification that we can make through pattern recognition. But by formulating these pure number measures that feed into the brain of the firm, we can create a uh, a pattern recognition system that is going to classify internal activities according to the measures of performance that we actually desire, as opposed to what is relevant to our brains experiencing the world as individuals. I think that is the gist of this section. And he's not super clear about this because he's instead of saying system one, he's saying division all the time. And that kind of obscures the fact of what he's talking about. Uh, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, I think you're pretty much on the right track there. I think as, as well, um, it's, it's classification by by like these measures of performance, but also classification by the performances that are being that are being you know, done, um, like the, the, the different sort of actual activities rather, yeah, as you said, rather than the like visual appearance or the like physical location and stuff. Because I think there's a big trap, right? That like you could just fall into like, well, you know, clearly for our firm, you know, the, 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 the office in LA is one of the system ones and the office in New York is one of the system ones. It's like, no, 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 fuck that, right? Like forget all about this like spatial location shit. Forget about these like, oh, well, you know, an, an identifiable building has a bunch of people in it, therefore it has to be one of the system ones. No, look at what these things do. And if you look at those things, it's like, oh, wait, hold on. Both of these locations spend half of their time doing software development and half of their time doing customer support. 
So it's the development and the support that the system wants, and the physical location in space-time is a fucking illusion. Like it's 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 mere, merely an appearance. What you care about is the activity, the performance, and the measure of the performance, not these, you know, tactile, you know, what color is it, or, or you know, I mean, or even something like, oh, Toyota makes cars, and it's like, oh, well, here we make cars for the German market, and here we make cars for the Italian market. Like, who gives a shit? Cars, you know, uh, uh, I think it's like it, a, it's, the destination of their outputs doesn't matter. I think it's actually mm-hmm. even more radical than that because he yeah. he says that we shouldn't classify them by the nature of things they produce. So mm-hmm. that means he's not talking about like sales versus software. He's talking about like okay. groups that we cannot even really classify or recognize common to our like by our common heuristics. It's like mm-hmm. something that is only really um understood by the kind of like machine learning that's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, which is the real mind fuck for me because, like, I I would think, oh yeah, so yeah. You, you divide the system ones up according to their uh, type of behavior, right? Like their their uh, their uh, as he says here, uh, the nature of the processes they employ or the nature of the things they produce by the people sort of people who undertake them. You know, these kind of common sense heuristics. Mm-hmm. But he's mm-hmm. saying like, no, actually, this is just like something that operates in the machine metal language mm-hmm. that is very specifically tuned to performance in the world. Um, uh, th- mm-hmm. three, go ahead. So, yeah, I, uh, so I was confused by this part. Uh, I, I did have that same kind of model as like, he's doing some sort of like K means clustering on like some kind of in dimensional space of pure numbers, but I have no idea what kind of pure numbers would guarantee meaningful groups? Uh, and then he said the thing about profit, like he said, the only thing we care about is the only thing they care about is profits. It's like what? It's like profits coming in, and then how is he rescuing? How is he reclassifying us to rescue like real meaningful organic groups in this stream of pure numbers? And what is the numbers that are coming in? And like, I I, I don't know if anyone has any answers to these questions or if, if I'm misunderstanding it. But I'm just trying to uh, represent my the shape of my misunderstanding. I I don't understand at all what the pure numbers are that are supposed to be fed into this classifier, and I don't understand how the output of that classifier is meaningful at all. Uh, so I can answer at least one part of your question. Uh, sure. Another part I'm just as much in the dark as you are. Uh, so. The pure numbers are coming out of the performance indices that were developed in the previous chapter, at the end of the previous chapter. So the potentiality, capability, actuality stuff that was sent, uh, that was set at uh, in in this sort of uh, first pass of understanding the organization. Um, and he's gonna, Isn't- yeah. Sorry, doesn't that presuppose that you already have something? Because you're getting the achievement profile of a thing. Yeah. And maybe I don't understand that, but isn't that thing the thing? You know what I mean? Like you can only get the achievement profile of individuals or a group of individuals. And what we're grouping individuals on is the result of that achievement profile. Yes. So I think what he's proposing, based on what he says later in the chapter, which is still a kind of an elliptical statement, 
is that you do a kind of like data collection first pass and establish a data set uh, based on your existing divisional uh, organization. And then you do an analysis of that data set and reorg the system, the system ones according to the groupings that you find based on the performance indicators you've developed. Now, that's just my like preliminary understanding of what he's saying here, but it seems to be the method he's indicating. Uh, so let's go to Steve and then Matt. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think generally, I think we're, we're getting there. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think we quite have figured it out. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, the way I interpreted it, right, is that like those, uh, you know, the capability potentiality and whatever the other one was, right, there, it's up to the operational research people to have an understanding and actually create like acceptable, acceptable bounds of those over time. So they create some Gaussian distribution of what like acceptable um, performance results are. And those come out and like get fed into two. And again, I don't quite understand the little potentiality thing, but the way I sort of reconciled it was that, you know, you're going to get these numbers are going to be spit out from the subsystem, the performance measures. Um, you got to collect them together, you know, because you have those three numbers and you have to, um, at some point, at some, you know, not continue. At some discrete at some discrete time, you basically have to say, "All right, you know, this is what we've got coming from the system. Here's a sample for, of all the performance metrics. Um, send that off to the triangle. Uh, the triangle will compare them against those models that we have, um, and you can say, well, hey, that looks like it's outside the bounds of our Gaussian distribution um, or your inverse sine wave or whatever it is. Like you can compare the samples you get from the model that the OR people gave you." And if it's within that, you know, don't really do anything. But if it if it's outside of the acceptable bounds, then you send that information off to four and three A. Um, four has to figure out what to do if there's a problem, and that, as best as I can tell, because he, he goes into this description. I don't think you read it yet um, about how like oh that stuff you know we just have that because that's how the system works and like you know that's up to the managers who have figured that stuff out that you know if you're sh if you're short on capability then there's going to be some response that the company has to come up with in order to be able to deal with that and i internalize that as some big you know linear system old style soviet cybernetics like uh response you know that's your that's your linear system control system right or your control model that brings you all the way back to your feedback loop from chapter two or whatever it was. Um, who comes up with that? Again, the OR people have to figure out how to adequately respond when your capabilities and your uh, performance doesn't quite match up towards your expected distributions that, that they came up with in the, in the first place. So like all of this seems like you is meant to be put on, you know, a computer, just do it. You've got numbers that come out. There's no real meta language here, or at least there's one language, right? It's those three numbers. Doesn't matter what is actually happening underneath. You're, he's proposing that the meta language here is those three numbers and you build some models according to them and then you check statistics that make sense and then have some actual, you know, algorithmic way of responding to that that the OR people come up with. Um, so that was my takeaway from it. Uh, I don't know if I'm over determining the fact that this is like, yeah, you can just write 
some programs to do this, as long as your OR people give you the raw data and the synthesis of that data through good models. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you've got the <laughs> basics of what how this is supposed to work in general. The, the real, like, question mark is this idea of your divisions being structured according to uh, an algorithm. Because, like, I struggle to imagine how a manager of a division that has been structured that way is going to uh, constitute divisional identity and sort of, like, respond to the meta systems, like, as a system one manager, right? Like, it's just... Like, if you're in this kind of, like, weird uh, statistical flux space, like, how do you manage effectively as a Division One manager? That's just what's really kind of, like, blowing my mind here. Uh, uh, okay, so we're going to go Matt and then Jake, H, and then Shane. Yeah, um, uh, how exactly to classify um, uh, um, the the the, um, the divisions? Like that threw me for a loop. Um, uh, um, but uh, um, I just thought of something that that it, that it might be. So, um, uh, is so like um, uh, yeah. Uh, like Toyota, like you've got some mature um, product lines where, say, you know, the, the actuality is pretty close to the capability, which is pretty close to the potentiality. And like, you know, th those kinds of divisions and those kind of product lines are kind of one thing. Versus like um, uh, um, you know special projects divisions where you know that we, we you know you're looking at journal articles and see, and seeing the potentiality is like really really you know way, way in excess of your capability and like you know you're you're, you're you and you've got those experimental divisions that you know are trying to uh, um, you know sort of like internal startups or whatever that you know are, are uh, um, you know uh, uh, um, yeah we're trying to build up uh, uh, the capability you know toward the potentiality and the actuality toward the capability. And then maybe also, um, uh, um, uh, you know, um, like sort of problem child uh, divisions where, you know, just like the, the actuality is just way below the capability and, you know, you're trying to restructure it. Yeah, I think I see what you're saying, like in a kind of like triage sense, um, like treating treating divisions like uh, through the sort of attention they need. Um is that is that accurate, Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, 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 that that one too. But also just like like I see how how it requires sort of like different um, management when like you know you have a mature product line where you know actuality, capability, and potentiality are all you know you're basically performing you know at at, at the at the top of like where you conceivably could be performing you know like right. like you know Toyota main main line versus a special projects division that actually is kind of different and like you know some companies including kind of more you know kind of better companies like Toyota actually do kind of do that. Okay. Um, Jake H, uh, Shane, and then Third Creed. Yeah, I'm definitely, before I started talking about this part, I was like a little more like, oh, maybe I kind of understand how the different, like I, system ones being like different. I guess I had some big idea, but then thinking about it more, I realized I don't quite have a good idea of like what exactly constitutes a system one. But I, I think like, I, I think I've got a better idea of what the kind, how the kind of system one two and three work together, especially that, that figure 30. 
um, I think it's a nice little like step of yeah, like feeding in the activity and then like putting out some activity. But I, I, yeah, I'm definitely like it's a little unclear of what exactly the numbers refer to, especially when thinking about not in terms of like a production line. You know, where it's like it's not it's li- not like just literally like here is the things that are produced, but just like but then thinking about that more, I mean maybe that is kind of how you think of a system one as something that produces like distinct outputs, uh, like distinct from each other. You know, like if uh, a Toyota or whatever has like a windshield manufacturing plant and then like the car assembly plant are two different system ones, systems one, whatever. Um, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong there, but I, I do. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, again, like he's, he's basically saying that's not it. It's, it's not windshields versus cars. It's not, uh, you know, it's not hammers versus nails. Uh, it, it's not the type of widget you're making or the type of activity you're doing that's actually working here. And I think, the thing to remember that may help with this is that he emphasizes um, what really matters in those sort of uh, three measures that are developed previously uh, is the directionality of the pure numbers. It, it's it's less like for the purposes of the organization, it doesn't matter as much what the numbers indicate because it's assumed that system one can figure out what indices matter for system one. What I, I really just, I, I really just struggle to understand because, um, you could only really define those performance indicators as a system one. If you had a self identity to examine what you're doing. Right. And that, that's what's really throwing me for a loop is like, what is the identity of system one if it is not something that people can commonly recognize as like a, just, you know, oh, like we're the, the parts division or we're the help, uh, the, the, the technical support division or whatever. Um, that's that's really throwing me off. Uh, OK, let's go to Shane and then to Third Creed. So I. I, I think so. I've been scanning back over these paragraphs, and I think we may have talked ourselves into being confused. And I'm because I, 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 and I think it is partially Beer's fault because he's a little bit loose with his words yeah, please, here. And he's he's not clarify. exactly clarifying precise. So I think I think what Beer is saying with the statistical classification thing is that you can classify the. Um, so you have these output indices or whatever, and you can classify the region those numbers fall into, like basically classify normal from pathological behavior mm-hmm. um, and so on. And this this is for the purpose of intervention later. It's like classification of what do we consider to be normal performance. And so it's classification of the performance of the yeah. system one units. Exactly. I don't think I don't think he's claiming that. And this, it's possible that I've confused myself in this conversation and that this is not actually what's being said here. But I, th- I think there's a suggestion here that what he's, su- what he's suggesting is that you would classify and differentiate the divisions themselves statistically, which I don't think is what he's saying. I, I, I think because he, he's, he's talking up front about the performance of the system one units, not the... So it's the classification of the performance indices coming out of the system one units, classifying them as like healthy or not healthy, not like classic, like 
cell division of like differentiation of organs classification like it's i i I don't think he's suggesting that you would have a soup of activity and then Mm. a machine algorithm would determine what the organs are through that process like as in like differentiating kettles from from sledgehammers or, or, I mean, maybe that's because like, he, he does call out that explicitly as maybe not the way to classify things. But I, I do think in the model, it needs to be the case that the, the subunits are mm-hmm. things that evidently have autonomous behavior of their own. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. the, it's the behavior that needs to be classified, not the system itself. Um, so, you know, the, the bird in itself is just some weird, fu- freakish pile of fucking quantum noise. But it's the behavior of the bird you want to classify as like, is it attacking me or is it being friendly? Is it trying to open a walnut? You know, I, I think that's what we're getting to there. But his, his language is fuzzy enough that I can now understand how, how we would start to think that he's suggesting that you would have the statistical process determine what bird is uh, or what, what the autonomous bird unit seems to be. Yeah, well, because yeah. he's never... Um clarifying the distinction like Mm -hmm. the only thing i can see that supports that reading is that Mm -hmm. he says um we need to on the first page uh page 167 paragraph he says we need to know first of all how system one really works in the eyes of the corporation gotcha so that would support your reading right Mm -hmm. It's very strange to me that okay, he starts he starts from the holistic perspective mm-hmm. instead of starting from the perspective of system one qua system of the one. Sub-unit. Yeah. I yeah. think the reason for that may be that it's impossible to actually establish a fundamental level of identity. Because mm-hmm. actually okay. where we're going to get that self-definition is when we get to the part of this section on system five, mm-hmm. because system one can only define itself relative to the higher level of recursion by having a system five of its own, right? Mm. That, that like yeah. that system five within system one is going to define the self-identity relative to the higher level um, mm. because there's huh. no fundamental core of system one otherwise. Yeah. Right? So you can't look at system one from its own perspective because there's an infinite regress downward. Yeah, I think you're, you're selling me on the idea again that like this is a kind of like sludge it's like a protein sludge that like develops its own structure through like reflexive um energy exchange like whatever the the, like analysis of the signal then feeds back onto the like like literally self-differentiation yes would be uh i mean very like cell division or what or what have you right like it's but that that feels so strange in comparison to the language that's used of like a, a division and so on. And it's, maybe it's because he has to couch all this in terms of the uh, existing firm structures and corporations that we know, which already have, maybe this is, maybe this is it, right? That like, we have this model that's based on the org chart of like, you know, Bob is the king of this division and like fucking Sally or whoever is the king of the little subdivision, the, the, the team or something. 
And that's actually horseshit. It's that's not the organic differentiation of functions in the in the system at all. So we, we he probably shouldn't, in fact, use the word division to, to describe any of this. I wonder if he's leaning on a, a linguistic crutch of I, familiarity I, that I, then I, ends up leading us down these blind alleys. Is that possible? I think that's partially it uh, for sure. But I also think the kind of self-labeling as a division and like the esprit de corps or the, like the mm -hmm. ethos, as, as Jeremy was putting it, uh, when we were talking about writing that VSM uh, pamphlet, yeah. uh, is the job of System 5. So my bet is we're actually going to get a discussion of self-identity when we read the System 5 chapter and not this one here, because this is addressing system one, two, three, and system one has the character of being infinitely deep. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, I, I think that's why he's starting from a holistic perspective, and we're going to get the perspective of, of particularity in a couple chapters, but mm -hmm. not here. Um <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. So, this, so I, I like this read actually. Now that we've got there, I, I, I'm you're you're really selling me on this thing because it it fits with the notion of self organization or like self discovery of functions. Mm -hmm. um, that like there's there's an ongoing emergent process by which the organism discovers its own organs. Yeah. Um, and and its 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 organs cohere out of the the the, the body without organs or the, the the prior sludge of activity. Right. Um, and it's not given. It's not a priori. That's right. It's not a priori. It's also not so, defined by the organization as a whole, because yeah. I think on 169, uh, or sorry, uh, end of 168, uh, beginning of 169, he says, uh, we should no longer classify the firm's activities according to convention, apply cost measures to these activities because they are the only measures we understand, and then aggregate the answers. We should instead apply the measures of performance we have designed to the activities and demand that the information system classifies the operational world on our behalf. The brain mm -hmm. does this for us in ordinary life through its pattern recognition capability and produces the classification by manifest appearance with which we normally wish to work. So I think that, that he's not saying here that that perspective is invalid. Mm -hmm. He's saying that that perspective is going to be meaningful not to the organization as a whole, but to the people doing the work in yeah. System 1, right? The, That's going to be their self-understanding of their activity, but it's not the organization's understanding. There we go. Yeah, that's 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 wonderful. Also, like this bit, this bit about like the the way the brain classifies ordinary life, like that is that is very much a thing of like um, this uh, like emergent classification. Like we we don't we don't know a priori how to recognize uh, a ball or a you know a car or a toy or whatever in particular. That's a thing that's learned. It, it emerges from the 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 vortex of experience. Mm -hmm. um, this this this. This, these, these couple of pages are fucking explosive then because this is very much about this emergent classification and self-classification yes and um self self-formation self-organization self-formation of organs um jesus yeah okay yeah, it's i'm a, really, it's glad, I'm really, really glad we, st we stuck to that it's a it's really, really sort of like subtle and underexplained point uh -huh. that is relating back to this 
thing he's taken as given of uh, ev the evolutionary answer to the bogus dichotomy of centralization versus decentralization, mm. right? Um, in terms of sort of like, you know, cell, cell uh, division, cell uh, self-definition, right? Um, mm -hmm. All that kind of stuff, or organ formation. Uh, yeah, it's it's real weird. Okay, so uh, I've talked okay. long enough. Uh, Jake H, and then Third Creed, please go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna like talk about the like bring it back to the whole like model of the body and of the organs and of the neurons, like the way that they work. You know, the reinforcement learning and kind of the the thing does it does this and so it sends a signal that it does this and then it gets the signal back that it that the other thing heard that it did this and then that just sort of repeats and then you know you start off with some neuron or set of neurons in the brain recognizing just a bunch of blurry shapes and then as the brain matures and as that learning process goes on it eventually learns to differentiate okay this is a line at this spot in the vision so therefore it can see more clearly and i think i think that the confusing thing for me is like kind of the going back and forth between like this is the division one or the system one as we define it and as it is created versus here's the system one of a mature organization already created mm -hmm. and sort of the mm -hmm. switching back and forth is what keep what kept confusing me because it was like it's maybe this makes sense when you're looking at it and from a mature organization, like, you know, it produces X raw material from like division A that goes to division B. That's in a mature organization or like an organization that's already running. But when you start out, it doesn't necessarily do that. And so that I think was what kept confusing me. Um, but yeah, just sort of this idea of like reinforcement learning and of like yeah. the, yeah. the input and the output reinforcing the other things that it is connected to as like reinforcing that this is its own division. I'm not quite, and I'm not quite sure how, like what that looks like, I guess we keep talking about that, but like, and maybe that's what I, I need to read that. Uh, what is it? That uh, decision and control to kind of better understand that. But yeah, I think, I think this, this, <laughs> this, uh, this discussion on just the first three pages of this chapter have really, uh, really made it a bit more clear to me whether there's still questions. But. Yeah, and I, I think the reason why we don't get... Um, we don't actually get a sort of Aristotelian teleological approach to this description is that the viable system is meant to uh, constantly reorganize itself in a changing environment. Um, and therefore, there isn't really in a final sense a mature viable system. Like, the, the viable system is meant to be uh self-rejuvenating and self-renewing in response to environmental change. So what might appear to be a mature organization, like let's say, um, I don't know, uh, you are a pager company that is really good at making pagers. 
But then pagers are outmoded by the introduction of cell phones, right? You need to undergo a complete reorg uh, on the basis of that in order to stay viable. So you can't really assume that there is a telos, like a sort of ideal form, a final cause towards which your organization is uh, growing, right? There isn't, an, there isn't that kind of platonic ideal form of the tree towards which your tree is treeing uh, because it's actually always in flux. Um, and that's why we get this weirdness about um, self-definition and organizational definition in a very general and abstract sense. I think that's what's going on here. Uh, okay, third creed, uh, please go ahead. Okay, so yeah, I was like figuring this out while you guys... A lot of this has been talked over what I was thinking of. Uh, so, so I hope it's that. So let me understand it on a really practical level what's going on. Uh, in these divisions, the divisions themselves choose for themselves measures that they want to be used in the achievement profiles. Right. The achievement profiles spit out numbers, and then there's a synapse process where it just looks at the whole thing and it says all of these achievements are falling around this little, if I, I imagine like a normalized line between zero and one mm -hmm. and sort of a, a heap yep, wherever, with right. like mean relation, wherever it is. And it's like, okay, well, this is one heap and this is another heap and this is another heap. And for the purpose of management, all I know is that I want to move these heaps up. Yep. I don't care if it's actually two things that are together. I don't care if it's two things mixed. I don't care if it's one thing moving around or whatever. It doesn't matter, actually. I just, I want to move it up. So here, my so I have some confusion here, but but essentially it sounds like once you do this, uh, you don't classify ever. It's just like just like a classification machine might spit out classifications. Just like a lot of machine learning will 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 influence the thing without you ever having any insight into what the objects are in some sort of like human ontological like some something you can categorize personally. Mm -hmm. It's like it seems like the system is doing that itself. Mm -hmm. However, later on when he talks about plans or normative plans, or like these different kinds of things, these things do seem to indicate that you would have need to have some understanding. You're going to make a plan based on this number. You can't just make you can't make a plan that's just hey, make this number go up. Um, you know what I mean? So could they do have some knowledge of the? But what I'm I thought maybe that was the division between the sort of triangle part, the regulatory center, and the directorate. Does the directorate never really know? what numbers it's optimizing and why or does some part of this not exactly know it's, what it's optimizing and why it's it's not so much that the directorate doesn't uh ever know or rather that like system three doesn't ever know uh it's that system three will audit for extra information through system three star when it does need to know but only through three star. Yeah. So yeah like yeah. that whole the whole central column of three has no idea what it's optimizing. It could be optimizing yeah. like the number of 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 like snakes in the pit or the number of times this machine squeaks or it, it has no idea. Is that yeah, correct? The yeah. As far as I understand, in its normal operation, system three is not getting detailed data about what's going on. 
it's it's only when it needs to interrogate for further information that it will get that data. Uh, Can I leave an open question then for later? Yeah. When we get to it, then how does the directorate do anything meaningful to change that number? Uh, does it just do just test plans and see if it goes up or down and then keep doing plans that go up? And I not think down? We, we should check over the section of this chapter on system three again. But totally. uh, I think it's it's, you know, the role of system three is very much like tinkering. So mm. I, I don't think that it's super aware of what it's tinkering with. Uh, it's, it's kind of just adjusting things. Um, but but uh, again, we should defer that until a, a discussion of, a, of yeah. the final part of this chapter. Uh, OK, so we're running up on time here. Uh, so we're going to go uh, Shane, Steve and then Jeremy. Uh, cool. I just I want to check something against your under, your understanding of this, Kyle, with, with, with an example. Right. So that like if our system had these subunits, uh, which are maybe teams. Um, yeah. And the, the team spit out their performance indices and they go, you know, one, six, five, nine, five. Mm -hmm. And those are the numbers. It's purely abstract numbers. The two fives, from the perspective of the higher system, would be kind of the same subsystem, but because they're invisible in terms of differentiation of performance. Yeah. And it, it would be like, well, fuck them. They're, they're, they're doing the same thing and they're performing the same way. In terms of control, the difference between them is invisible. Mm -hmm. Now, for the people themselves, and like, oh, one, one, one team goes to the red building, the other team goes to the blue building, there's all kinds of differences. But for the control system... They're performing in the same way, and they respond probably like over time. They respond in the same way to changes. Like you, you crank, you turn the crank one way. They're they're both their performance goes from five to six. You turn it the other way, it goes down from six to four. And it's like in the control system, these are invisible. Yes. They are functionally identical. Okay, right. So just just wanted to clarify that that's what we're on about there. I, th I yeah. think I get it now. In terms of the sympathetic signals going up to system three, yes. Uh, it's not that System 3 can't get more information about this parasympathetically, right, through 3-star. It's just that normally, yeah, it's, it's, and, it's, 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 it's exactly as Matt described with mm -hmm. the, uh, the way that Toyota in, hypothetically would deal with these kinds of situations. Right. And then if 3-star if did an audit, it might discover a difference. Yes, somehow and we'll be like oh shit there's actually two objects here like a, you know there's a cow standing behind the other cow and it's like oh fuck there's two cows and i only saw one right yes um or if their performance did diverge in a way that was notable the system would be able to note the difference like it's it's all this like perceptual um ability to differentiate like the variety of differentiations you can make in perception uh, in the control system okay it, right. it's 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 starting to cohere in, in my head uh, okay, uh, let's go to Steve, uh, Jeremy, and then Jake H. Yeah, I mean, just to... So I, I'm looking at figure 30, right? I, I don't want to lose sight of the fact, you know, that unfortunately he probably doesn't have the space to go through all the details he wants, right? But, like, at the same time, you know, every line and connection between those circles in, in that mean something in his head right mm -hmm. so when we talked about like the fact that 
you know, you need some sort of response, right? Your uh, potentiality or your actuality is going down, right? And so system four eventually has to deal with that. And based on those very specifics of whatever that particular system one it's regulating is, that might mean like, you know, add another, I don't know, path in your assembly line, you know, or, or throw some more people into it. And so, and so there's, there's like responses there that are, that are happening, but like trying to look at that through the, you know, through what like, everybody here has been saying, you know, in terms of things like, uh, like the reinforcement learning and the feedback and the abstraction of it, um, there are feedback loops in that directorate structure, right? Specifically yes. between A and four, between four and B, and who knows what the dotted lines are, you know, and like some of that is, yeah, some will be regulated and they'll be planned so that you can recognize, oh, I need to throw another person on that line. Um, but, you know, there's also the avenue to de deflect upwards where it's like, I don't really know how to respond to that. So I'm going to send that information up and then some higher level is going to have to be able to feedback. And like, that's how I'm, I'm just starting to, it's, you know, in some ways, of course, right, everything's connected. And so there's always pathways to take care of it at as lowest levels as you can, but always pathways to like defer that decision up depending on how good your models are. And that's how I'm internalizing this and like really that's where the directory comes through. The, the regulatory center, that's just filtering. That's just processing the data and then letting people know that something needs to be done. How significant of a change and impact that that is can either be done at four or four through A or four through A, B, and C or four through up the next system up there. While at the same time providing a little bit of feedback to say, you know, if things are okay, maybe I have to adapt my model a little bit, and that's okay for for a reasonable amount. You know, that Gaussian distribution has to change a little bit, yeah. um, and that's okay too. It's like there's just pathways for all sorts of adaptation here at all possible levels, and he's just trying to capture that. And you know, it's kind of hard to do that in one single diagram. Yes, um, I think it's fair to say that uh, essentially when the pathway goes up, it is being referred upwards according to that sort of synaptic firing because it requires further conceptualization. And to the degree that you have a pathway directly back down, uh, mm -hmm that is going to just kind of be a sympathetic response. It's autonomic, right? Um, so it's it's less of a conceptual response and more of just sort of, yeah, things are out of balance, let's balance them kind of a response. Um, uh, yeah, I, I want to get into that diagram next time uh, because uh, there's a lot to discuss there and we don't, we don't have time to talk about it right now, but we're gonna, we're, we'll get there for sure. Uh, Jake H. and then uh, Jeremy, uh, please go ahead. Um, yeah, I was just going to say like something that I think like I keep thinking of and, and it, he sort of has talked about it in terms of like the synaptic activity, but just like the idea of like action potential, mm -hmm. uh, which is a thing in like chemical, like chemistry, but also biology of just like when the usually talking about like concentration of ions and stuff reaches a certain point it hits a threshold and then that triggers like a release of like an opening of a chemical gate that reduces the the voltage on one side yeah. of yeah. the gate. And and just so that idea of like the activity within the system one continues as normal. It runs itself until 
the action potential builds until the the indicators of something wrong build enough to hit to a threshold point at which at which point it moves on to the next system it moves to like system two or system three or whatever uh i don't know the exact thing i'm a little hazy on that but like it moves to like a next level up at which point that can determine does this need to be moved up to the next level does there need to be some intervention downward to correct this because the amount of times that it's you know, it's, it's fired X number of times when it shouldn't have fired X number of times. Uh, or, you know, as like a continual building of like the meta language, the meta counter in, increases by one. And when it hits 10, that's when system three needs to intervene because there's something wrong enough that it's, it's indicated. So I, just every time he talks about the moving up, up a level, I don't know, that, that always makes me think of like the gate is open because the all the crap has been pushed up against it and now it needs to open up and be dealt with by the the, the system within the next point you know if that makes sense i don't know but just yeah i don't know i'll put i i found it like this this diagram is like a pretty easy like graph of what an action potential looks like for anyone that doesn't know but that's just something i keep thinking of every time it talks about like what causes the intervention by a, by a higher-up system. Yeah, uh, and, and that, that's uh, exactly why this is, like, open to uh, statistical analysis, right? Because it, it is operating on those action potentials. Uh, so, uh, Jeremy, uh, go ahead, and then uh, we'll close out with Matt. Can't, can't hear you. No, we can't hear you. Uh, so we'll we'll go to Matt and then we'll come back to Jeremy uh, once the sound sorted. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, um, I, I, just, I just had a thought of, of like uh, yeah, this uh, um, it, yeah, uh, uh, putting it back to like more like leftist stuff. Yeah, you can kind of see like how yeah, like uh, the upper levels really don't actually understand production. Like like uh, maybe some like immediate level kind of do on some like abstracted level, but really in terms of like how things actually happen, it is like much more of an autopoetic uh, process. And uh, you know like that's where you know the proletariat gets the ability to uh, um, you know uh, understand collective labor in a way that you know like uh, other classes kind of don't, and uh, uh, or or not. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's uh, part of what Marx is getting at when he is talking about the proletariat as a universal subject, because um, under industrial production, uh, you have the breakdown of craft work. Uh, you have uh, sort of education on the job, right? Like Marx was sort of famously opposed to public education uh, because he thought that education on the job was uh, more uh, like was was going to develop proletarian consciousness uh, in a way that being under a schoolmaster could not. Uh, and that I think. You know, beer, like, I okay, so I guess it's like, you don't want to infer from that that uh, the proletariat under capitalism is already in itself uh, universal, 
because it does still have a partial understanding of reality, right? As 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 proletarians, like there are things that you do not experience as proletarians that you would experience as capitalists. Uh, so it's, it's not a complete understanding. Uh, and it's only really ever after the abolition of class that you get like a full universalized understanding. Uh, but there is something interesting going on there for sure. Right. Um, it's yeah. I mean, I don't know how to think about it exactly from what Beer's describing here, but I think that there's absolutely like an analysis you could do of like Marxist standpoint theory interfacing with Beer's sort of perspectival, uh, like multi-perspectival understanding of organization, that would be really cool. Um, th that's just my bong rip thoughts. Uh, Jeremy, please go ahead. Hopefully this works this time. Uh, still can't hear you. You're unmuted. It's um, a hardware issue. Or it's a hardware issue for sure, or, yeah. Or your computer software issue. Oh, I heard something. Okay. Yeah, there we I go. I just um, okay. So um, there's a central column. If you uh, further on in this chapter in um, diagram 32, there's a lot more said about the central column. So all of the stuff with the sympathetic nervous system, with all the metrics and all that stuff going on. That's only one part of the information that System 3 is getting. System 3 is also getting information going up the spinal cord as well. And if you look, the arousal filter is coming off the spinal cord. It's not coming off of the sympathetic nervous system. So the uh, um, the there. When you first look at this and you think, well, these people are setting their own metrics. System three doesn't even know what those metrics are. This is like totally autonomous. System three doesn't have a, a lot of power or information. That's actually not really true. There's other things going on, going up and down the spinal cord. But also um, in the examples, beer gives the workers in Chile a bunch of metrics and then tells them to come up with their own metrics too. So it's a combination of metrics designed from higher up on the system and metrics designed from below. So there's much more of a homeostatic balance between top down and bottom up than would first appear. Yeah, that's yeah, right. that's real. Uh, Jeremy, please mute yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's really interesting. Um, so, yeah, in terms of the system two, sort of like the ganglionic uh, action uh, going up, uh, it is that kind of like blind uh, action that we're talking about. But then in figure, figure 32, we do see direct connections. And I guess in terms of like saying like, oh, here's the metrics that system or that are coming down to system one, that would be like something system four would formulate, right? Like uh, system four would offer uh, those those formulations uh, of metrics uh, to system one coming downward. Um, yeah. Uh, so 
there is a whole sort of like top-down dimension of this that we're going to get into more as we go down uh, through the chapter. Uh, and the the spinal dimension of this uh, that we're going to examine as well. Uh, but we're going to have to leave that for next time because we're running quite a bit over time now. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, appreciate everyone uh, going on this uh, mind expanding, weird dialectical <laughs> journey uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> with me. Uh, it's been a good time. I think we've we've developed a partial understanding, which will be subsumed uh, in the next stage of the dialectic as we proceed <laughs> here. Um, all right, uh, thanks everybody. Thanks uh, everyone. I'll see you next week for more of this chapter. It's been a bong rip session, everyone. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye.